Breaking the cycle to step forward. Authentic conversations from lived experience and a professional perspective in overcoming abuse with Chris Tuck and Beverly Ann. Hello and welcome to Breaking the Cycle to Step Forward. I'm Beverly Ann and joined as ever by the lovely... Hi everyone, Chris Tuck here. Hope you're all well. And today we've got another wonderful guest. And today it's actually, are you going to introduce yourself? Yeah, of course I will. Um, so I'm Fatima Whitbread. I'm a former international athlete. I am also uh, have lived experience in the children's homes for 14 years. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to chatting with you girls and show you, share a bit more about myself. Fantastic. And there is something as well that we want to share personally, and Chris is probably going to kill me now, because <laughs> when we spoke about you coming on the show, what was it you said, Chris? Who was I it who inspired you? I idol when I was growing up because I used to do a lot of running to get um, my anger out of my system. And yeah. whenever I watched athletics, you would be one of my idols that I would watch and think, Hmm, that looks good. And I tried javelin and I was absolutely hopeless. I stuck to the running. <laughs> you stabbed, stabbed yourself in the foot, did you? <laughs> That's what I did. I went to throw it and instead of going anywhere, it just went, ooh, duh. Yeah, there's a lot more to it, though, Chris, isn't there? It's not until you pick up a javelin you realise, yeah. actually, it's quite, it's one of the most beautiful events that you can watch in the stadium from all around the stadium, aesthetically. Yeah. And, yeah. But uh, at the same time, it's one of the most technical events, so yeah. it's much harder. Anything that's done to perfection looks easy, but um, yes. believe you me, there's a lot of hard work that goes into that. And you made it look easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bev. Carry on. <laughs> well, that's what's lovely about these conversations, because it's, you know, anyone listening as well, it's about what how you connect with each other, and so it's important. So, Fatima... Would you like to just go back and for some of the listeners who don't know, just give us a little bit of a run through about your childhood and how you came through to adulthood. Yes, well, I was abandoned as a baby and some would say left to die in a flat in London. And a neighbour had heard a baby crying for a couple of days, but hadn't seen anybody come or go to the flat. So she called the police who then in turn came and banged the door down and rescued the baby, which was myself. I then spent the next six months in uh, hospital uh, recovering from malnutrition and nappy rash. Yep. And uh, and then during that period, I was made a ward of court with through Hackney Borough Council. And I spent the next 14 years of my life in children's homes. So that's quite a long time to be incarcerated in care. Um, but at the same time, obviously, um, yeah, I never had anybody explain anything to me. And back in the 60s, it's always but it was quite bleak to what it, the times are now and uh yeah it was a, a long it's a long old time 14 years in the care system yes and and that's something I can equate with you as in because I was under court order through Bromley Council so but I was four when I went in and I had siblings as well right. I I went that's to I went to two different children's homes and was fostered. What And I will say, even though it is challenging, for me it was the best thing because the choice of being at home was toxic, it was awful and it yeah. wasn't good. But for yourself, Fatima, do you have a home 
you know, growing up out of that experience that was one of your best or well, one that... Life, I mean, if you ask me now, would I change anything about my childhood? I would say maybe a couple of things. All right, so obviously the sexual abuse and the, and, and the sheer abandonment and trauma, emotional trauma that it left me with. And for, for a lot of children, that's always very hard to process, particularly from a very young age. Um, so even now, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I'm over it. We all have to learn to deal with it and learn yeah. to how to do the healing. And I, I often used to take the young Fatima by hand even today and I'll say to her, come on, you're fine. I've got you. You know, you're safe yeah. now. And, and that is so important to understand that as we get older, we have, we have that responsibility ourselves to heal. Um, and even though um, our primary care years, and I felt these were stolen from me uh, to a certain extent, um, and, uh, you know, the, the trauma that I lived through, not just my own, but also the other children in the, in, in the care system. There were somewhat 25 kids in the first children's home. And, uh, you know, that's hard because you've got everyone crying for mummy and wanting to, you know, why is it we're left here? We're all sort of, mm. nothing was ever explained to, to me. Um, nobody ever said, you know, your your mummy's going to be visiting and or you've, you know, had a special card or birthday, you know, visits. Uh, there was nothing to indicate that I had a uh, family out there. So it was quite a shock to me. I mean, um, uh with when being told you know that at the age of five I was called by the house matron to say Fatima nine o'clock tomorrow morning be outside downstairs in uh, at the, by the front door your mother is coming to take you to a new children's home with your child care officer to be with your half brother and sister wow thought, wow that's a lot you know for a five-year-old because I mean, this was my home. I started to worry all night, thinking, why am I leaving the place I know? And this is my friends and they're my family. And, you know, what's going to happen to me? I was already panicking anyway, because at five, you start to, you know, you pick up vibration. You you, you, you definitely can um, have a, a very good intuition about what's going on around you. And, you know, it was just none of it felt right to me, you know, from from the words they go. And I can remember like a lot of the children we used to play in the front room and anybody we used to watch anybody coming in and out of the driveway. And I always used to say, is that my mummy coming to get me? Yeah. I mean, this is this is the, the, the thing with children. They have their own perception, how they deal with life to get them through. And, you know, for a lot of young kids, I mean, it's very difficult to process anything like that. You know, unless they're actually sat down and, and 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 sort of given you know some sort of huddle and understanding that why they're there and and reassurance, you know, it's just very difficult. And it's it's um you know going back to the children home days, it it's amazing when I look back as an, an adult and hearing you speak and other people, um, you just accepted it. You don't know anything any different you just accepted and to have your name called out and being told this is going to happen that yeah. was the norm wasn't it oh yeah I mean there was 25 children in that home and uh, I, mean, I always remember there was always massive queues for the bathroom yeah. I mean you were if you weren't smart enough to get in the front of the queue when the bath day when it was bath day then you were you'd got at the end of the queue then you were you were unfortunate it was cold murky mucky water and um, yeah, you soon learn to swim or sink, as it were. Um, but nevertheless, you know, there was a lot of young children walking around, sleepwalking, basically, because they were all just emotional, mm -hmm. traumatized, you know. And um, 
you I found it really difficult in some respects to get above that. And that made it a lot harder because whereas you could have perhaps have got on, which you see residentials today at maximum, sometimes four children in a home. So um, it's so different. It's more homely um, than having large numbers and kids coming and going all the time. Starting point, all the same, very emotionally, wetting the beds, rocking themselves to sleep, crying themselves to sleep. And, you know, that's just very tough to deal with because it kicks you off every time, you know. And uh, and I, I did learn how to deal with it because I was very fortunate with having an auntie in my second home, Auntie Ray. And uh, I don't know if you've heard me speak of Auntie Ray. She was a 72-hour lady and uh, she was uh, she was a cockney girl. And um, we used to call her the tickle monster because uh, Auntie Ray would always get us up in the morning by tickling us. So I always used to lay under the bed sheets and hide under there. <laughs> and I'd just wait there until she came and tickled me. So it's just as well she did, Beverly. I'd still be there now. Yeah. And, <laughs> and she, um, she, she humanised us kids. You know, yes. And that was, that was what's so important, to have that bright, shining star in your life, somebody oh, who you can connect to. For young people, that's key. That's having a good role model, somebody they can look up to, you know, they know who's seen them and and, yes. and got and got them, you know, and understands and they values and understands what that child's going through because it makes a huge difference to that child's life moving forward. And we had that with Auntie Anne. So even Christmas, you know, most of the children, there was 18 in our first children's home. Most of them would go home. So it'd just yes. been um, me and my siblings there. But she, if she was working that day, I've still got fabulous memories of actually being allowed in her bedroom. Oh, wow. And, we never had to do that, were we? <laughs> exactly. Like, I went into that area and sat on the bed and we had a little stocking to, to uh, you know, and those are things that we take, you know, I did it yeah. for my children. As children, you think, doesn't everyone do that? No, well, they, you don't in, home, in care homes. Most conventional families... Most conventional families, I mean, yeah, it was called unconditional love. And, and what they, children are, um, they they have the uh, the privilege of having the attention of mum and dad all the time. And, and it, it's lovely. That's what it should be for our children. And they get the um, unconditional love, as I say, and they get the, the support through their primary care years and it, through their education, through their friendships. Also, the fact that, you know, there's, you know, there's obviously um, skill them up for their adulthood. And mm -hmm. so when they go out into the big wide world, they're actually able to stand on their feet, whereas that's not most children's experience in the care system. You know, no. And it's really, I think, very difficult to to explain that to people. You know, I'm, and I'm very fortunate like you. I mean, I'm able to, through my lived experience, uh, I'm using my Olympic platform. I'm I'm able to uh, um, relate and uh, um, emphasize with the public, just to educate them what these young children in, in the UK are going through, because they have massive challenges, of many of which um, has a, a real profound impact on their outcomes in life. You know, and I'm really keen to. You know, call for change. You know that. Oh, I'm sorry, An anachronism in pop <laughs> in England. Ah, oh, mum. You I don't see Chris, that you've got your hand up as well. Um, I you. have. But guess it will be. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. 
So Good. we're just sorting out. Uh, what what was that? Was it a um, a book or something that was speaking to itself? Yeah, my mum. I've got my mum with me today, and yeah. um, my adopted mum. And um, my mum's not very techie, so she, she's <laughs> looking at some stuff on my laptop, and she's managed yeah. to find herself in hold with some ad of some sort. Yeah, she's all... <laughs> Maggie, behave yourself. <laughs> It's the laptop. Yeah, it's not, so I was going to pick up on some parallels for, you know, uh, you girls were in the care system. I wasn't. I almost wished I was in the care system. Growing up in a dysfunctional, violent, um, chaotic household, the parallels for waiting for a, for a parent to turn up. Um, when mum, for example, had custody of us and we're waiting for dad to turn up because he promised he would come and he didn't turn up time mm. and time again. It's the letdown, which is yeah. so crushing to children mm -hmm. and young people that um, people outside of that don't really get to understand that, that it is truly crushing when you're waiting for someone that you think loves you and cares for you and doesn't turn up. Um, and also... Um, uh, Fatima, I don't know if you know, but I worked at the Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse for eight years. So that's all about change. It's all about trying to impact policy, trying to yeah. get new laws implemented, all of that kind of thing. And when we did like the public hearings into sexual abuse and abuse in general within children's homes, it broke my flipping heart about how many children were not only harmed further, but were let down and even to this day are still being abused within those kind of environments, yeah, those institutional environments. And that is what we are here collectively yeah. doing is raising awareness that it's one, it's going on, two, it's prevalent and three, it's not okay, you know? And having yeah. that one person, as you said, your auntie Fatima and Beverly had an auntie. Um, I had that one person in my life when I was 15 that helped me on the right road if she hadn't stepped in and was my shining light I don't yeah. know how my life would have turned out but yeah. she helped me get into education she helped me sort out my housing situation and that got me it wasn't easy as we all know but that got me on my road so it's really important that every single child and young person has that one person in their lives that can yeah. help role models so important yeah. The role yeah. model is so important. And, you know, what really annoys me, uh, you know, there's a couple of things here, right? And we know that, uh, that there's 4.2 million families that are living in, in poverty as we speak. And, yeah. and the food banks, 800,000 families on the food banks. I mean, this this era, this time in, you know, in our lifetime, it should never really be that many, you know, uh, people suffering. And, and of course, uh, the 33% of all councillors are seeing an, a weekly increase of children coming into the care system. So that's no surprise, is it, with austerity as it is? Yeah. And of course, 33%, this is where I'm getting to my point, 33% of under 20-year-olds, all of under 20-year-olds who are incarcerated are from the care system. Be yeah. And that's largely due because they're being groomed. You know, most of them are being groomed by um, uh, the uh, undesirables to do their, their dirty work. And these young uh, 
carers, they the young kid children, they're the ones that are sorry because that somebody's trying to ring me and that's modern technology for you as well isn't it yeah we're all so, authentic here we go with the flow <laughs> yeah and so um so what my point is here is that we need to address that we need to get those severe um uh, I mean, the young girls as well that are, are, are very vulnerable and they're getting targeted by these undesirables again no better than paedophilias and they're the ones that should be put in behind bars the ones that are taking advantage of our young, vulnerable kids. Because at the end of the day, they know exactly what they're doing. They're targeting our young people. A lot of our young children need more. And this is where Fatlemus UK campaign is coming into play because one of the things that I want to introduce is what I call the power of sport or the power of arts and where we work yeah. in collaboration with partnerships to bring in, uh, I'm working with the with the Premier League at the moment with this CEO of Safeguarding to bring some um, important projects together for our young people so they have a sense of belonging somewhere so they can go on a weekly basis, do sport learn about life skills, connecting, you know, work, fulfilling their, you know, um, making their, giving them, yeah, potential and giving them a sense of uh, fulfillment and, and confidence. And, and also working with the local police or fire brigades in their community as well, being, you know, amongst them so they can understand what what's these who these children are and um, and the children understand and build a, a working relationship with the police as more of a friendly face and that, that i think is far kinder in building a happier lives better communities and a nicer kind of society but the projects that i'm trying also to introduce through fatness campaigns is also i've been talking to um uh, john pierce who's the uh, director uh, corporate director of uh, children's councils and he um i would like to to get him to ring fence these projects so that they you know protected from cross-party but they last you know give it okay. longevity because that's so important that these yeah. kids these kids can get to you know for future generations as well and the projects if unfortunately i mean this is another pet hate of mine when the kids get moved so many times out of an area and i will talk to john about this because it's time that more councils took up more residential homes because I think that not all children want to go into foster care. It doesn't always suit them. They might have a family, that, but they're in an area where they get moved out because there are not enough children's homes where our councils need to invest more in owning their own residentials rather than sending them across to another county or halfway down the country, way away from all their friends, from their you know families or basically people that they've, they've been with and known for a long time. So it's disruptive, it's unsettling, and it's not. there's no continuity because they might be there for a short period of time and move on again. But what this project does is allow them, wherever they go, to tap in. Their, their um, details are on the safeguarding pro, um, data system. Yes. It's protected. It's protected, but it also gives that child you know, still the continuity of being able to be a part of something. And Fatima, that's something that's really close to my heart because, you know, for some people listening, being in children's homes seems like the worst scenario. And mm. for me and for my siblings, although I can't speak on their behalf of their whole experience, but for me particularly, being in care, I am proud that I was in care. I am the woman I am today because of the women, and it was mostly women, that looked after me. 
I remember when I was 10, being in the children's home for six years, very happy, was being sent home regularly and nobody had asked any questions. So we were under court order for neglect. But unfortunately, when the police came to take us away at the age of four, my father had already started abusing me. So I was still being sent home, but still being able to go back to a safe place. So yeah. at the age of 10, when it's suddenly like, oh, you're going to be home in time for Christmas. You're all going to be together, all six siblings together with your mum and dad going forward. This is going to be your forever home for yeah. three nights. So I had night terrors. It was like yeah. I didn't have the language to say why I didn't want to go home. No, but you were too young. Too young. But I also, um, there was a part of me that wanted to be part of a normal family. because yeah, natural. Yeah, and the worst thing is about being in care, for me, when I look back as well, is the way you get labelled. So yeah. you're, you're as a child, yeah, as a child, you're placed in care for safety. So, yeah. But the question, I don't know if you had this, but growing up, if anyone learned that I was in care, the first question, what did you do? Yeah, exactly. Everyone sort of naturally assumes that these children are in there, for, you know, because they've been naughty. And, um, you know, to be honest, I mean, they're, they're in there through no fault of their own. And they've, yeah. a lot of them have been uh, abused physically, mentally, sexually. I was all of those, yeah. like you. And I, I, I found it very hard as well to, to share that with anybody because you do get discriminated against. Back then it was. Now we look at inclusion and we look for early intervention, which is really key. Mm-hmm. But back then there was none of that. Children should be seen and not heard. It was yeah. was our motto, and yeah, and you didn't didn't say anything to anybody when you were sexually abused. I mean that that living with that terror and you know the fact that you know it's just you feel bad that it's your fault that there's something yeah. that's gone wrong. Um, and yeah, I mean it's soul destroying, and it's really hard to explain that to people unless they've actually been in that situation themselves. Um, but it's hard to, to uh, you know, f- f- looking forward now. I mean, obviously, looking at children as we are today, as I said, I think it's really key that two things. One, if they are going into foster care, we need to, you know, look at two areas here. Firstly, we've got to be sure that those that want to do the job are doing it for the right reason, not just for the money, because it's it's not desirable to have children being shunted about from one place to another. This is totally unsettling. And Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Yeah. And then secondly, those that have got genuine heart and they, they want to open their home to love of a child, then they need to have a bit more support, especially in terms of trauma, because that yep. is something that not everybody understands. Not all everyone has experienced what trauma is about. And these children, as I said, they come in with a particular set of circumstances like issues and and, and, and trauma is you know and triggers are, are two of the most you know profound ones and I think that if we help to skill up some of the foster carers um, with regard to that then they will much be easier to to recognize what's coming at them or what's happening and try to deal with it better and therefore less breakdowns in the relationship with with the foster child you know and absolutely and there is a third one where where um can you know because there are a lot of misconceptions built around foster care and i think a lot of them is all bullshit which, forgive me to say it because <laughs> well for one you can i mean if you're single you can still you can still foster two if you're disabled you can still foster three 
if you're a uh, uh, same sex, that's fine too. Um, they're going to be seriously vetted. All foster parents are. Um, and and the other one is, um, you know, uh, for any um, child that goes into into care, obviously the the most important thing is they have the love and security of that family, and that means embrace that child as your own. Don't assume that when you go on holiday, you can only take your kids and leave them in care somewhere because what sort of message is that giving to that child? And that I think is the breakdown of communication and that's the start of the rot setting in. And that's why a lot of children then feel that they don't want to be a part of the family because they, they don't feel the part of the family. There's, it's, 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 it's okay to, to do to do, they feel it's okay to, to do the job and, and earn the money, but when it comes to the, you know, the final things which um, family holidays, which families have, then you've got to embrace that with that child too. And and that you know, let's be honest, it's very hard. I've been a foster child as well, and you know, now I can look back and see it from both sides, from my side, but also from their side, where they had the best intentions, yeah. but they. They didn't have, you know, their expectation, I was older than their son. So why didn't I know how to do naturally what their son knew? Yeah. Like the boundaries <laughs> in the family and I had no idea. Well, because you never had them in in, in 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 your environment that you lived in the first place. And that's yeah. a lot to do with, you know, again, with, with children's environment in, in uh, you know, um, childcare, you know, with the... the the a lot of them are living in the families that unfortunately the parents are not always well enough to look after them properly and I know that, that I've had little girls talk to me about when I've gone to residentials to visit and talk to them how happy they are to be able to be sleeping in a bed yeah. you know and and then one of them also said to me I was so proud to show me her shoes she said because my sister and I my mummy couldn't afford two pair of shoes so we took it in turns to go to school you know, and, and these are the things we take for granted. When I say we, I mean conventional families take for granted that, that these children are facing tough challenges today. You know, and, um, you know, it would make for a much happier society if we all sort of work together and, and that the awareness was out there that, that these children, they should have been more inclusive um, stigmatisation should be taken away, you know, and, and early intervention with families would be much more successful, you know, and having a happier family as a family unit, you know. And and Chris, you know, this is where that it brings full circle. When you think of, you know, when we all share our story, people think, oh, that's years ago. But when you talk about poverty, etc., Chris, you this is where, like, for you, you've always said you wished you could go back into care because you wanted that safety, didn't you? You wanted that regularity. That sounds yeah. like also, Chris, when people go into, into prison, these young kids, what happens is, I'm sorry for jumping in, but this is making my point perfectly. A lot of kids, right, when they've been in prison, they, they then realise when they come out, they've not got any family, they've got nobody mm -hmm. around them. So they then re-offend because they want to go back because that is their family. They've got a warm cell, they've got regular food, they've got the inmates, and that's their family. They go, yeah. They want to be back inside. And that, that's, that's a real shame. Yeah, you know, that's a sense of belonging, isn't it? Belonging, yeah. Sense of safety, sense of belonging, which we wouldn't understand unless we're in their shoes. Can I just go back a little bit? Because I'm listening to you, fabulous conversation. So I tend to go and pick up again and thread yeah, it sure. on. Um, so cost of living crisis, every time mm -hmm. we have this, domestic violence goes up, 
child sexual abuse goes up, abuse in general just goes up. That That is what research shows us. So yes. obviously then we have more mental health issues for children, young people and adults. We have more addiction. We have we have more and more and more dysfunction. Yeah. So essentially then if you move it forward, there's more children and young people being moved into the care system, whatever that care system looks like. Now, Fatima, you said that you we we need to move back to more local authority care, but there yes. was a move away from that, wasn't there? Yeah, because there was. it wasn't meeting the needs of children and young people. Well, this so is the thing. Why yeah, I say I'm that, right? Yeah, why I say that, Chris, is because when children come into care, I think they need to go into a safe haven and having their own residential, the councils owning their own residential, gives them that opportunity to assess the child and talk to the child and ask them what it is that they them, themselves would like. Because not every child, as I say, wants to go into to, to, to other families. Some of them feel like they'd be much better suited to residential and still maybe still having connection with outside family. Um, but they won't know that unless they actually talk to the kids. And I think this is an opportunity for them to own their own homes and to, 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 to do that, uh, monitor that system within their own boundaries. If they, if they have no residential homes, what a lot of councils are doing now is buying uh, residential places off the private sector, people that have bought the houses and selling them at high price. And, and it makes no sense whatsoever wasting all that money to buying and sending a child from one end of the country to another, completely out their remit, away from anyone they know and family, if they have got family and it, it's just a waste complete waste of money and it makes no sense to me and that's why they keep getting punted around from pillar to post and like worse if they have their own councils go back to our, owning their own properties and residentials they can bring children in i mean now residentials and no beverly and i we experienced it with with quite high volumes of children in homes nowadays it's usually about four and they have it's like a little family unit they have um, one to two to one i think uh, a carers in there everything's done and they can learn how to live properly out like a family and some of them feel much more secure in that environment than they would in in, in being if they've already had experienced emotional trauma in a family but you know, regardless what they do make the decision at the end of the day, once they've been yes. monitored and, uh, you know, they've, they've had the chance to find out what that child wants, then they can make the decision whether they go further afield in terms of family, foster care, or whether they keep them in, in, in residential. You know, it's, uh, but if they haven't got residential, they then, like I said, they will spend an absolute fortune, you know, in buying a place way out the remit which makes, again, no sense, as I said earlier. And it's a waste, a complete waste of money. Why aren't they buying their own residential homes? And why aren't they taking it under their own umbrella and controlling the situation themselves and, and, and integrating that, that child, keeping stability and continuity for that child in, in, in the area that it belongs? And I can answer that one. Why? Because it comes, They their argument is it comes under finance again. So... Um, I've been in the House of Lords as a member of the Institute of Recovery of Childhood Trauma, and this was before lockdown. And back then we had someone giving some figures out. And the figures that they were sharing with us was that for, at that time was that for each child to be in residential care, 
they'd worked it out in a borough that it cost annually over 300,000 pounds for that child to be in residential care. And yet, when they were being fostered, they worked it out to be 30,000. And I was one of the first people when they said any questions, I jumped up and I said, can you clarify that, please? I said, because any person doing the budgets would think, oh, let's go and foster because yeah. financially it's cheaper. I said, but you've also spoken about the training and the support for the staff, mm. staff in the residential homes. Where's the training and the support for the foster homes? And I yeah. think that's what's happened. We've got too yeah. many people looking at the money. Yeah, We need to look long-term financially. Because... We've got to look at the, the, the welfare of the child and its outcomes, best outcomes, emotionally, you know, uh, the, you know then what their needs are and not, as a, a number and what and um, how much can they save and and but i believe also they don't save because for each child where they're trying to save money look at the outcomes they've been yeah. often taken away yeah. from parents because the parents are no pointing finger but they were unable for whatever reason to look after them and support them and yet once they've gone through the care system there is no support so no. naturally you go back to your parents yeah, you a would, bit and but I mean, I did for a little while. And but then a lot of our kids don't. They get either because they can't continue with paying the bills. They they end up homeless. They end up in crime. They end up yeah. sexually abused and, and 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 groomed. You know, they're very vulnerable kids. They're very, you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it begs to differ why they haven't got you know much more clarity about yeah. the importance of you know it's a. It would, to me, for a lot of young children, again, I would I'd rather put them in boarding school, give them a good education, know that they're getting well looked after and got secure security, but they've got a good outcome at the end of it. For those that do want education, that's the best, that's, I think, a best plan of action as well, giving, the, giving them the opportunity of staying in boarding schools, you know, taking their education aboard, they're getting the security and people around them looking after them. And they come out with, at the end of the day with an education, something they can stand up on their own feet and, and, and you know, pay, pay their way through life. This is what we all want to do, yeah. you know. And socially, when you've been through boarding school, no matter what's happening in your family, mm. the message is very different. Yeah, There's course. no no labelling, no prejudice. No labelling, exactly. Chris, yeah. your hand is up, I can see. Yeah, I just wanted to go back to your points, girls, on the foster carers um, and them not having the specific training. And any of my friends who have gone into fostering, when they speak to me because they know what I do, um, mm. they say that they often get given children that are traumatised. They're not given the history of the children. And then they're working with children and their behaviour. And they know that the child has got trauma because they're not being told about the history and the background. So they're obviously picking up on the behavior. And then, yeah. then when they seek um, support to help with the child, to keep the child on the straight and narrow and with the help and support that that child needs, they're not being given it. The foster carers aren't. So there right. is a big gap in what the child needs and what the foster carers can provide because they're not getting the appropriate help and support by the local authorities or yeah. whoever is responsible for the training of foster carers. So You'll I want find... to pick up. Yeah, go on. I want oh, to I pick hear... up on that point. Yeah. 
I hear everything you're saying, and I don't disagree, but I also see that if we have children, when, when I'm a mum, so um, I, was, I was desperate to break the mould of what happened to mm -hmm. me, and I'm sure Beverly and most people that, that have been in that situation, like yourself, they we all want to do that, don't we? We all want to show the show our families that you know there's we, we're good parents, and yep. and and I'd like to think I have done that, but you know, I mean, personally, if that was me, I would be saying to my child or the child that I was looking after, these are the fundamental things that you do for humane for humanity. You find that 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 person within you to deal with that and not everyone yeah. wants to because if it's not their child they think why should I um mm -hmm. and it, it requires an immense amount of effort and commitment not and and, and again you're you're, you're relying on somebody who's got that big heart to do that and there are ways of combating this with the children because with children it's always about giving them hope mm -hmm. and if they've got hope they will succeed and the, pro the point is they've got to feel that somebody's got their back and they've, they feel yeah. secure on that subject. And and having something that they can relate to or associate with that they, they enjoy doing, like a passion, I mean, yes. it makes them grow as people. Self-growth is immense, you know, and then what it does for you. And then it takes you through different doors and down different corridors and you learn to through different experiences, how to deal with certain situations. And you grow as a person. And that is the key thing, I think, to breaking away from what your childhood primary years have developed you as into yeah. going into adulthood. And I think that a lot of people out there need to take a bit more time with these young people, even in their own families. They might find that they're struggling with their kids. But take that time to find what it is that you can inspire and make your child responsible for taking on. Because once they find what it is that they love to do or they have a passion for, you usually find that, you know, that, that combats a lot of mental health issues. Because the biggest thing when kids get stuck in their mind and adults, they become mentally, physically not feeling well. And the and problem is... You know, we can't throw tablets. That's like sticking a Band-Aid on the problem and not really getting to the point of what it is causing the, in the first place. So it is all about learning to get to the bottom with, with kids of what it is that they feel that they would ideally like themselves and where they see themselves best in terms of how they can see themselves flourishing and growing, you know, and, uh, and forgetting, not forgetting, but dealing with, healing the healing process which is basically what we're talking about here with young kids that the you know the best healing of all you know it, it's like the farmer who lived in in uh singapore or wherever and and here every day he used to get up and he goes on his farm and he'd look after it look after his cows and then one day he got up and there were no cows there and he become quite ill because there was nothing for him to do and he was like desperate so he went to the doctors and when the doctor said, what's wrong? And he said, I've got this or that. And the doctor said, well, take, take these tablets. And, and one friend said, no, give him a cow. And it, it's like giving him a cow, got him back out there again, you know, on the, on, on, on the trail of, of, of fulfillment, you know, and that's what it's about. It's not about taking just the medication. It's not about saying to someone, you've got a, a problem. This is your, most aliments stem from something. 
you know, and it's all about finding what that something is and then well, trying to address it. Yeah, this yeah. Is a, it's really important, you know, that it, it's self self growth and self, you know, understand your self healing and, and what works for you and makes you feel yeah. alive. Absolutely. Please. Yes, my next question to Fatima, just to move it on a little bit, is how did you get into javelin, please? Ah, uh, well, well that's, when I was in children's homes, I was constantly back in the 60s. I mean, I never liked there was a lot of discrimination. Kids of us that when we used to go to school, we were all lined up with one auntie. And then we saw all our friends with their mums and dads coming out of school. Same thing. School free dinners. None of that I liked because it was discriminating. And one of the things I used to do is play penny up the wall around the back of the bike shed. <laughs> And I, uh, my school dinner that way, and my friend who lived in the children's home around the corner, her dinner money too. And if we didn't have enough, we'd go to the corner shop and we'd ask the old fish and chip lady, "Have you got any old scraps?" Oh, yeah. remember that? Yeah. yeah. And then, and she'd often throw in a few chips as well. And then I'd say, "Oh, can you? Have you got any pickled onions?" And she'd say, "Go on, cheeky." She'd throw it in there and she'd go on, here off. <laughs> but, but but I I started to learn that sport was my saviour. And I yeah. enjoyed sport because it gave me a sense of fulfillment. Again, it gave me a, a re respect for my peers and my teachers. Instead of being wrapped around the knuckles with the ruler or got the chalkboard rubber thrown at me for being talking in classroom, often, you know, I mean, I find it a struggle to concentrate on my work because emotionally I was very disturbed. And mm -hmm. that's what happens with children that are very disturbed emotionally. They find it difficult to concentrate yeah and, 100%. You know, yeah and so but sport gave me a sense of freedom and it was a, and I, I loved kicking ass around with the boys at football you know and, and showing them who's boss I like climbing up the biggest hardest difficult tree I loved being you know a friend of the cricket ball further than the boys in the school you know and 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 it was the challenge and being looked upon as if somebody you you achieving something and you yeah. don't respect and yes. and and that's why sport became my saviour. And and that through sport, I met the love of the Whitbread family too, because my my mum was a, a, a PE teacher, you know, and um, she wasn't in my school, but um, her school and my school had a, like a, a very tough match uh, playing netball. And um, I wanted to win the, the, the cup match. And uh, it was like really strong two contested teams it was going 11 11 12 11 12 all and I was, <laughs> I was raising my voice as captain trying to motivate my team and, and the whistle went and the umpire said young lady keep that noise down otherwise you'll be off and I sort of looked and I thought who's this you know so anyway <laughs> <laughs> you do kids live in the combs you 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 you're feisty you've got to fight for your life all the time right yeah yeah so when it was going 12 or 13, you know, and then I started making a noise back then. I mean, nowadays they'd call us motivators. Yeah. And back, back then they call us pain in the arse, yeah? So, <laughs> so the whistle went again and she said, I told you once before, if I've got to tell you again, you'll be off. And, um, and I kind of sort of muttered and her team captain said, Fats, she's really strict, be careful. Anyway, we end of the match, we won and that was great. Yay! <laughs> then my friend. Not uh, that she remembers that match at yeah, all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was the first medal I ever won in my whole oh. career. And I remember then I wanted to join the athletic club, and I said to my friend Alma, who lived in the children's home around the corner, "Let's go to the local athletic club." And of course, uh, it was from there on. I said uh, we walked five miles. I think we pocketed the bus money. 
probably got sweet, sweets or something like that. And um, Alma went off to the sprinters when we got there and I saw this tall blonde boy and throwing what looked like a spear and I thought, oh, he's nice, I'll go over there. <laughs> so I walked over, yeah i walked over to the runway and i went to pick up the, the javelin and, and he said you can't do that so i said why not so he looked to the javelin uh the, the shot put coach behind and jack green said to me art oh, young lady you, you'll have to wait in the stand for the javelin coach that's you know you can't be throwing javelins without the javelin coach so i said where's this javelin coach there <laughs> <laughs> So he said, come and sit in the stand. So I was sort of toe-tapping, waiting in the stand. And then he said, oh, here comes the coach. And I'm looking, thinking, where's this coach? And this, this little mini pulled up in the car park. And then as this person was walking across the field, I went, oh, no, no it's that same woman on the netball court. Yeah. No. They were quite <laughs> yeah. And then when she got over to the, well, stay at the, the, um, uh, the stand, Jack said, Mrs. Whitbread, I've got somebody here who'd like to throw the javelin. And before she, he could say my name, she said, you're Fatima. And she said, well, let me tell you, young lady, any of that cheek you showed on the netball court, <laughs> you won't be throwing any javelins here. And that was a kind of like my introduction to Mrs. Whitbread. And yeah, there's an even bigger story that and I won't take too much of your time with that because uh, that goes on for quite some time. And uh, eventually, you know, Mrs. Whitbread invited me to... Um, to come to, to visit the family and you know after that it was uh would you like to come and stay over the summer and um with regard to that it was um Greg I think my younger brother I mean and the older brother they're only two and four so they've only ever known me as as big sis and Greg said to my mum do we have to take her back to the shop <laughs> <laughs> And then when, I, when my mum took me back to the house, she said, oh, she said, Mrs. Whitbread said, would you like to come and live with us? And I kind of like, what, really? So she said, yeah, well, you can come and live. So there was part of me that, that was excited because I've always ever wanted a family. Yeah. But there was also part of me that was nervous because, I, you know, I mean, I'd been in children's homes for 14 years. And yeah. Auntie Ray was my auntie and I wanted, you know, and all the children, my little family. And I just felt like I was abandoning them. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and it was like, and I was going to leave everything I ever knew. And it was, again, it was like, oh, I don't know if I can handle this. But as it happened, I, you know, it did. And uh, mum and I, mum and daughter and coach and athlete, we we broke all the stadium yeah. records around the world and become world champion, world record holder, Olympian. That's beautiful. Yeah, so it was a, that's how I got into sport girls. And what's wonderful about hearing that, and thank you so much, is if anyone's listening, you know, what an inspiration, you know. Yeah. And that is that is what you want to carry forward within your charity, isn't it? That, that well, that's the, what Fatima's UK campaign is about. It's giving these children the opportunity to fulfil them, reach their full potential as well. But the, you, they cannot do that if there's no such projects out there for them. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm striving for, to get together in collaboration, working in partnerships, bringing these projects together, ring-fencing them so they have longevity giving these children a sense of belonging, a place where they can go, they can enjoy their sport, they can enjoy people, meeting people in the community and working together as a little team. They can also skill up their, their uh, selves if they want to, for you know, to take better outcomes in terms of work later on. They can learn how to, you know, be put on the right path to be a physio, whether they want to be a, a mentor or, or just a coach even, you know, it's... Uh, 
it's definitely a, a wonderful opportunity for these young children and it keeps them off the streets, out the hands of these undesirables and gives them, you know, a much better fulfilling life and a sense of belonging in their rightfulness in, in the community. And you've been very active in the campaign because obviously we follow you and share some of the things. So, you know, LinkedIn, Facebook, um, yeah. Instagram, anyone watching, please go and follow Fatima because even sharing is huge. It's raising that awareness. But what's important as well is you're looking to have hubs in England, Wales, Scotland yeah, and Ireland. And a, a summit too, because what that's going to bring, the summit is basically there to bring the power of one. There's a lot of good people working in the, as the care system, and but they're, they're spattered around. And what we'll, I'm trying to do is bring a summit so it's, it gives them a, a, a sense of embodiment, one harness the voice of one, and work together, sharing and collaborating ideas and helping one another. We know that each each uh, home nation has got reviews, respective reviews going on at the moment. So now's the time to do it. And also the fact is that. Yes, they've all got different child um, uh, commissioners, children. They'll, they'll be in attendees, and so too will the uh, ministers' um, attendees. But it's our summit for our ch uh, children's care sector and for everyone that represents that sector for children is represented. But it also the platform for our young children to come and speak and tell them, tell tell us what they want. Because as I said before, it, they should always be at the centre and forefront of everything we do. And it certainly is where Fatman's UK campaign is concerned. I'm not trying to reinvent the spinning world. There's a lot of good mm -hmm. stuff out there, a lot of good people out there. And I'm just trying to help to, to rejuvenate the care system bring that platform, amplify the voices and for kids to be seen, heard and valued. And let's let's do this together because, you know, we want to build happier lives and better communities and we want a nicer kind of society. And we're only going to get that if we start being smart and working together. And that's Absolutely. really what About Them Is UK campaign is all about. So go on my uh, um, website, uh, fatimuscampaign.com or fatimuscampaign.uk .co.uk or fatimuscampaign.com because all those three domains are, I own and I'm desperate to make sure, well, not so much desperate because I want to do the right thing for our children as much as I can to protect them and help them. And I would ask you to go on my um, website and go on my Just Giving page, my donations, and help me to help these children change their, you know, uh, make their you know lives more meaningful in lots of ways and make difference to their lives because every child has a right to a safe and happy childhood absolutely and also it it, it is as this program is labeled breaking the cycle to step forward enabling them to step forward into their life that's it so do you have an idea of when that summit's going to come about fatima i'm looking to bring that about for next uh, autumn this time next year yeah i mean okay. i'm working hard with uh, rachel de office and also um uh, in partnership with action for children as well who i'm an ambassador and working yeah. together with them and so in collaboration we're we're going to strategize we're at that stage of strategizing now and hopefully i've already done a lot of work talking to the four nations i've been busy quite busy uh, with my campaign spoken to a lot of people um scotland wales ireland 
and of course England. So yeah, I mean the who cares and the, the promise in Scotland are wonderful. Um, you know, in Ireland, um, Mr. O'Gorman, and also with uh, the the Welsh, I've been talking with Rachel Thomas, and I just do believe, you know, it's time we're ready. This is we need change. We need to rejuvenate and breathe fresh air into the care system. Uh, you know, the people that work in there, as I said, there's a lot of very good people, and they need this hope as much as our children. Absolutely. You know? And the only way to bring change is to make change. And that's what yeah. I'm trying to do. So get behind me, everyone, and make sure that we stick together and work together because I think the outcomes will be far greater for our children. Thank you. And that ties in nicely because it is coming to the end, I'm afraid to say. <laughs> I know I always am the bearer of bad time, um, <laughs> bad news, not bad time, but keeping in with time. Yeah. Chris, what's your last thoughts before we go to Fatima about today? Anything you want to... I want to. I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm batting you to the side on this one because I want to ask one more question. <laughs> Fatima, you said sport was your savior. It was my savior as well, and I do fitness as a as a living now. That's what I do. Um, oh, well it gave done. you a sense of freedom, yeah. Yeah, of course. What can we spell it out clearly using your words? What does sport do for your mental and your physical health, and what do right. you think? it gives to children and young people in those well, first, terms? Well, firstly, for me, I mean, sport, when I watched Mary Peters back in 1972 at the Munich Olympics, I was I was about 11. And I was starting to worry then because independent living for the children in care that then was 16. So I was already worried because all I ever got told was, oh, you'll amount to nothing and, yeah. you know, you're going to end up in the ball schools in London and, and it's all about marijuana and prostitution and you'll end up on the streets. So yeah. I started worrying and sport was, you know, that's something I love to do. And when I saw Mary Peters win the Munich Olympics, I realised this could be something I could do. You know, I could be self-financing them. But I, I mean, I got carried away. I thought, ah, I'm going to have a lovely big mansion and cars. And <laughs> yeah. well, we no, all can you dream. Can. <laughs> no, you can dream. And dreams are good, right? Yeah, and they are. But here's the thing. Um, if I want to get physically fit, I will go to the gym. Mm -hmm. And if and you train your muscles. So why can't you train your muscles in your brain? Yeah. The thing is, the mind and the body, as an athlete, I've always known it works together as one. Yeah, right? 100%. Right? So if it's not in the computer, you can't punch it out of the computer. So what I'm saying to you is the mind and the body acts as one. And I call that the wholesome. Yeah. Now, and that's so important. We look after the wholesome because that we it's, it's going to serve us for the rest of our lives. So why wouldn't you look after that? Because at yeah. the end of the day, none of us, we're all evolving all the time. And none of us can live in a little construct of being that child that was in our pre-primary care years. It will do nothing for us to do that. And we have a responsibility to ourselves to do the healing. And so that we give ourselves the best life chances. And that means mental health issues as well, because I've suffered like everybody else. Yeah. And I've learned I've learned to have to deal with them. And I've had to uh, educate myself and move on from what I was when I was a young Fatima. As I said, I take her by the hand. I'll look at her in the mirror and I'll say, I've got you. Don't worry, yeah. I'm going to look after you. You're all right now. You're safe. Yeah. yeah, and that is so important that you start to take that responsibility on because even though it's not your fault you ended in that in the situation you were in, 
it yeah. is it is our responsibility to do the, the healing work as we get older mm -hmm. and you want to do it because your mental health now a lot of kids in the care system by the time i think there's about 27 percent of children or maybe higher than that have mental health issues by the time they're 14 yeah. and that's quite a lot and then what we will and, we, and let's be frank the age of 14 in the care system is old by experience well you're three quarters of the way through your life because you're out at 18 you know yeah um, so in life terms i mean that's a huge you know a mantle for any child to carry going into adulthood and being independent and most average families conventional families kids staying in 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 their family home up until 25 later now because a lot of them can't get because of austerity yeah. can't get on the foot on the ladder between 25 and, and 30 and that's a massive change between 18 to 25 and 30 mm -hmm. a, a massive growth spurt and you know and and skills that those children in a safe family environment get to yeah. those children that are not you know the, the experience in that so I urge you to to uh, to think about this you know how important it is if you want to try and help children you can't give them what you know as a carer but what you can do is and we should think about this is of having what we call a forever friend we should be betting people that would like to be a friend of a child a, a care leaver to be there for them throughout their years you know so even if basic things like filling out gas bills or you know they've got a problem at work or they just want to have a talk because a lot of our kids unfortunately even on Christmas day are going to be sat alone on their own yeah yeah it's not our Christmas like we know most conventional families have these children it's not the case well so Chris and I both both know what it's like to spend Christmas at 16 living on yeah. our own yeah yeah well there you go so you are understanding where i'm coming from so absolutely so i think we need to look at these you know, people out there that have got emptiness syndrome that have had families they've got the love still want to be associated with the young young and old go together yin and yeah. yang is so good because so they can well. learn from one another the young keep the old young the old keep the young wise and i think to bring that together like that it's so important, you know, I'd like to, to think that these children, these young people have got someone in their lives as a forever friend. Well, I think Brilliant. that's a perfect way to end. I mean, I don't know about you, but that was really emotive today. And I, I'm proud to say it was emotive because it, yeah. it touches and that's what this is all about. So for anyone listening, any questions, you can email us breaking the cycle two step forward at gmail.com we will be putting Fatima's links in to the comments underneath the video or underneath the audio is there one last thing you want to say yeah there's just one I want to say a very big thank you to you girls for what you do you do a marvelous job and you get that message out there and I think it's wonderful what you're doing so thank you for what you do for our kids as well no thank you and the last person I want to say thank you is to Maggie who yeah. didn't intend to be part of the show, but she is. Hi, Thank Maggie. you, Maggie. <laughs> uh, have you finished now? We, we have. have. Thank you. Well and, done. Well done. And, and thank you <laughs> to people like yourself. Nice um, listening to all the things that Fasma was saying and yourself. Very yeah. interesting. Yeah, and, we, and it's also well, special people like yourself that has enabled Fatima to be the person she is today as well, been be part of that yeah
Well, it's been a privilege and a pleasure to be her mum. Ah, well, thank yeah, you. She's very a ball much. of energy. She's a ball of energy. All right. <laughs> yeah. Okay then. Okay. Got... Thank Bye, you. Bye bye. Right. And thank you very much, Fatima. Yeah. Thank We're you. Girls. End, end the recording now. Yeah. yeah love we'll it. do. When are you put it out.